Hey, I'm Spencer Powell and welcome to Remodeler Stories, where we highlight remodelers. Every remodeler has a unique story and journey and we can all learn from each other. Stay tuned for a mix of inspiration, tactical tips, unique strategies, and some laughter. The remodeling business is tough, but rewarding, and we're all in this together. Let's kick this thing off. Before we get into today's show, let's talk about our show sponsor, Remodeler Growth Community. Remodeler Growth Community is a peer-to-peer networking group exclusively for remodelers. For a low monthly fee, you get access to some of the best minds in the industry, life-changing business strategies, and the ability to connect and learn from people who've walked the path you walk. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, so there's absolutely no risk to you. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. Today, I sit down with Christopher Battle of Illmatic Constructions. Illmatic Constructions is a residential and commercial repair and restoration company located in West Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, serving Philly, New Jersey, and greater Philadelphia area. In construction, the field is rooted in technical skills, every aspect of construction from laying foundations to the final installation of a dryer or washer all have varying subfields and higher specialties. Many construction companies focus in one subfield or another, while Illmatic Construction covers a degree of fields with varying degrees of specialty. Now for my conversation with Christopher Battle. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Spencer, it's great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. Give people some context. Who are you? What's the company and where are you guys located? I'm Christopher Battle. I'm the CEO of Illmatic Constructions, which is a residential repair and restoration company centered in Philadelphia. We mostly do work in West and North Philadelphia, but we've spanned out into the greater Philadelphia region, doing everything from walls, floors, roofs, basements. We kind of, our goal is to increase the housing quality of the city of Philadelphia, one house at a time. So that's, that's us. Uh, yeah, we've been in business for about like, Two years. I've been in this industry for about six. So the okay, last okay. years of, of ramped up and you know worked with guys and expanded. So yeah. Cool. Maybe talk a little bit about the transition. So you've been in the industry for six, but then a few years ago you said, Hey, I'm gonna start my own thing. What prompted that? So if we're if we're being a hundred percent honest, the what led here is was probably Boy Scouts. I was a Boy Scout for a couple of years because high school, and that just got me very Project oriented, got me good with my hands, stuff like that. Boom, boom. Fast forward, I'm in college, getting a degree in poli sci. And in college, you know, when the school is up, the money's cool. But in the summer, when there's no no school, finance is low. The landlord I was living under at the time, he had a couple properties that he was constantly working on. So I was like, hey, you know, we talk about working for some of this rent. So I would start to work with him in the summers where I got like practical, like construction experience. That was like two or three summers. Graduated, graduated in 2020. So, you know, I graduated to some craziness. So the the prospects weren't as as viable as normal. So leaned back on the construction, started to do more, work on more houses. I was like, oh, this could really be something I could do. Started to get in the books, started to get in education. It became like a side hustle. I would like kind of have, you know, people who knew me, it would call me for jobs while I did my main thing. And then over time I started to realize like bought more tools, like the library, realized the bigger. I could expand the more I can make or in reverse. There was a capacity on how much I can make because of how much I was putting into it. So I was like, okay, it's cool. During the pandemic, I worked a lot of restaurant jobs while this was a side hustle. So 
that was a whole world in of itself. So I decided, you know what, let me focus on this construction. When I got into grad school, go to Cornell and I take classes to get my MPA degree. And the particular degree I'm trying to get is made for executives. So my classmates are like other CEOs and captains of industry. It gets kind of crazy. So that gave me more executive experience. So then it started with the LLC and the incorporation, the taxes and the legal. And then it just became once you do all that, once you get the LLC established, then it's like make money. Like, you know, like you have the name, you have the what's the what's the term? Not legal. Not legal. Yeah, more like yeah. It, it legitimizes kind of the brand and what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Right. That costs money. So all the money I was made, then, then I started to realize, wait, this isn't just me taking a job. It's like when I go quote a job, I have to cut materials and then administration. So it became it became what it is now, which is a company that has like its operations, then it's its employees, and then I run the executive side. So it's just been building up from me being able to lean on my hand to facilitate, you know, paying rent and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I know there's at the beginning, there's so many pieces that you have to just like all the infrastructure that you're building, you know, and the systems you're setting up. So maybe talk about like, once you got the LLC and you're like, okay, it's official. This is under the company name now. Like what was that first six or 12 months? Like what, where were you getting your first projects from and what were maybe like a couple of big hurdles or challenges that you faced? Yeah. Like, so the direct three to four, maybe five, well, about the direct like four months after I got my LLC established were very rough for, for a number of reasons. Number one, LLCs aren't cheap. Like, like they're, they're not cheap at all. And it's understood that, okay, now you got taxes. Now you got to be tax compliant, which means you have to make some money to report it to pay them. And I'm like, okay. And you also, every year you have to have enough money to pay and do taxes. And I'm like, okay. So now it's not about me. Like now the company itself is an entity where it's like, it needs money. It requires finance. So it's now you taking jobs. It's like, you need to pay for the job. You need to pay your company stuff. I had to get insurance. That's another bill. And then whatever's left is to you. And that I didn't like, I was used to going on the job, you know, I know a little bit pricing and now became what I knew became more important. Cause I'll tell you this, every construction job, I don't care how much, I don't care how small it is. I don't care how much planning you have. There's always something that goes wrong. <laughs> and the way construction works, people call you to solve their problems. They go, Hey, I have X problem. I'm going to pay you this much to solve X problem. That's it. I don't want to hear nothing else. Like if, if it's not solved, you're not getting paid. So if you brought all your equipment and you brought 8,000 tools and then you got to quit the job because you stripped the screw, that's now not only are you not getting paid, your business isn't getting paid and you don't have enough money for taxes. So the first month I had to readjust everything. So I was like, okay, I need to be sharper on quote when I need to stop wasting as much money. I need to like it, it created a degree of responsibility and accountability that wasn't just there when it was a side business. So those first three months, I lost a lot of money because by the time you cut the job and you cut the the operations, there was none left for me. So now it's like I, I made three thousand dollars this month, but I netted seventy five dollars. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is a problem. We got to figure this out. This is not going to work. Yeah. So much like many construction people, I use a lot of lead services online for when I first started out. And 
occasionally now when you know I do a good job. And that's a whole world in and of itself. That is a that's a step before the job. It's a step before the operations where because the way they work is they're very predatory in a sense of they sign you up early and they say, Hey, we gonna send you some stuff, you're gonna pay us. And then you go, okay, they're gonna send me a nice flow, couple of jobs. We're gonna they'll be like, okay, we're gonna send you 20 jobs in one day. And then we're gonna charge you for the 20 jobs in two days. And I'm like, that would sound great, but I can't physically do that. But that's not the frame. So there was a lot of tensions between me and them, a lot of litigation, you know, a lot of combat. We might might be in a lawsuit situation. I doubt it, but you know, there was a lot of that. So that that the that wasn't as much of a problem when it's like, okay, I just, I don't make any money from this job. That's not a problem. I got another job. It's cool. Now it's like, yo, insurance is coming up and I don't like, I, so I need, so I got to make sure this job is sharp. So now when I'm going on jobs, the first part of the job, what I thought was important was actually, what I thought was least important is actually most important. Mm-hmm. That, that first, when you get there, you got to like half listen to the client and like have look at everything. You got to be, be plotting. You got to have all the money in your head. You got to have everything cut up, and then plan like prep, prep. So those first couple months was the taught me. If you prep everything, ninety percent of it will be useless. But that ten percent that you prepped will matter because I because I still do it. I go out to a job and I'll be like, you know what. I don't need every single one of these tools. I'm just installing a boom. Let me, I'll leave this heavy one at home, get to the job. And that's the exact tool I need. So like, it was a lot of, a lot of growing pains. But once you get like three, four months in and you lost a lot of money and you've recouped from the loss of it, it's ebbs and flows where it's like, you'll be up and you'll be doing jobs and you'll be active and you'll feel like I'm a construction worker. I'm doing it. And then things will go wrong. And then jobs will last longer than they should have. And then suddenly, which you in the beginning, which you plotted, okay, it's a seven hundred dollar job. It'll be three hundred dollars to do. I'll net four hundred. Now that four hundred becomes three fifty. It becomes two hundred. So it, yeah, once you, it's growing pains in that first couple months. Yeah, that yeah. See, yeah, created accountability that shifted some things. Yeah, it's interesting hearing you describe that because. There's, I mean, you can read about it and you can, you know, learn about it, but there's no replacement for just going through it and getting the reps and going, oh, I did this and it resulted in that. I didn't like that. Okay. Now I'm going to change the front end and then see how it you know, plays itself out. And I mean, just, I mean, four months, it was painful, but then like, I think about the growth trajectory you probably experienced in those four months is pretty massive. I'm curious how, how that looks today. Like, are those still still major issues, minor issues, or do you have like other things that are like your big problems? You know. Oh yeah, other things. Current. So yeah. In that first, that first, that first period, like after that period, was followed directly by another period where it was like I got out, was like boom, and then got back up. So I'm like, okay, I'm up now. Let's try to keep this momentum. And then I learned why businesses make certain decisions. Hmm. Like, like, exactly. So, okay. So I am the CEO and chief technician of my company. When you go out on a job, you're going into someone's home, someone's personal space, someone's life, and you're repairing a problem. You're, you're soothing a bomb. You're fixing a systemic issue. I live in Philadelphia. Average income in the city is $40,000. 
for a city of about two million people, it's not it's not a lot of money, man. And these houses, the housing history, I do research at Cornell. So like I, I got into the second part because I do it's called political climatology, which is basically like I analyze climate policy. So and you learn it like these houses are decades old. Like the, the like most of the houses in the city were built between 1850 and 1930. Like most of the city are old. Yeah. Yeah. They're old, but they're not, they weren't old, but that period of time has a lot of race issues in it because that period of time was when the city was advancing until the black migration of the 1920s and they were relegated to the houses because the houses before 1850 are considered architectural like landscape they were preserved the houses mm-hmm. after 1930 were from the world war ii leading into the 1970s and the housing standards so this period of housing was when you had massive housing building but housing and urban restoration weren't the priority in minority communities. So now, fast forward, now you have different dynamics. You got mixed cities. There's still a lot of Black people, but it's like other stuff, different incomes, but you still have these houses with bad quality. So now somebody will call me to fix a hole or a leak in the wall, but they they can afford the hole fix. They can't afford to re-pipe their house. You know what I mean? So I walk into a lot of houses like that. And then they go, look, you see my house. You see I'm on a fixed income. You feel me? How much can you do? And I've got to have it doing this. I've I got prices in my head. I'm pretty good at it. So when you call me, if I look at the house, I can see how much you can afford. It's just the honest truth. The prices in construction are cold, expensive, expensive for the, for the even lightest work. And I understand why. But it's like, I tell them, hey, how much are you trying to let go on this project? And they hate that question. They go, no, I don't do business like that. You tell me the price and then we negotiate. And I'm like, okay, that's going to be $750. $750? Man, look, I only got $200. Like, can we, like, you know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's that the dynamic by which a person will ask you to compromise your business for their sake surprised me. Where I had, I had one client where, she was the head person of the church, head of operations, stuff like that. So she had like 10 things she wanted me to do. And some were small jobs, some were big jobs. And the way we negotiated, we priced it based on, okay, because we got these big jobs that are expensive, I'm going to, you know, cut the price on these little jobs. That happens a lot. We get to the job and they're like, hey, we also want the jobs done in this priority. Mm. And I was like, okay, but the priority, was least to most expensive. And at the time I was young, I was fresh in the game. I didn't really peep. But in my head, I was like, oh, so do the easy ones first. And then, you know, so we can knock those out. Da, da, da. But then we get to the, to the, to like halfway through, right? And like I said, every job is always something left. And, and I'm, and I'm hit a wall. Like I, like, I don't know what this material is. So I don't know how to replace it. Right. And I told her, I was like, hey, I can't find this material. And I did what handymen hate to do. I give you half up front, I give you the other half, and boom, we agreed on that. Somewhere in between, hey, I need some more bread. Lost the job because it was like, we just, we're going to hire somebody that's more, that's more experienced. And I understood that. But the way we negotiated it, the back half of the money was the bulk of the money. And here's why I don't negotiate prices anymore. I'm here, no, I'm sorry. Here's why I don't do half a half anymore. Like you got to really convince me to go half up front because I don't bring half the tools. 
I don't fix half your wall. I don't commit half the time. So why would you pay me half the money? You know what I mean? Like you're not that half in the back end. That's not half the materials. That's a hundred percent of my profit. And if something goes wrong halfway through, you're not going to pay me that back half if I can't fix your problem. Because remember, you didn't call me to go get the materials and go try my best. You called me to fix your problem. And also learn that there's no legal ramifications for not getting paid. <laughs> yeah. So if I don't, if if you do a job, if like because I had a client half and half, right? He gave me the half up front, no problem. Halfway through, he wants to add work. And clients love to add work without adding money. It's ridiculous. So I was like, nah, I can't really accommodate that addition. And he was like, all right, then cancel the work. And I was like, no problem. And he was like, cool. When are you gonna when are you gonna pay me back my my, my prepayment? I'm like, that money's gone. What? It's wind, it's it's missed. What are you talking about? Call the cops on me. Now I talked to the cop. Now the cop told me like he can't really like the, he described it to the cop wrong. So the cop was like, Oh, I can't really do anything. But I learned that like if I do a job and the client doesn't want to pay, I have two options. I can A, I can put a lien on their property which takes 75 days if done correctly in a good state. And all that does is like, it's almost, it has the, has the same impact as an inquiry on a credit card. Like it matters, but not really only if you care about it. My option two is to file a civil lawsuit over 175 to hire a lawyer. So it's, it's once I learn that there's no, there's no undergirding of protection. Service workers are saying they don't have this too. There's no undergirding of the protection of your paycheck. Your paycheck is not secure. Again, that's another accountability where it's like, I got to make sure when that thing that goes wrong, I got to be able to get around it. I got to be able to fix that. And I've had client after client just do me dirty trying to save money. And for me, I'm like, I'm the guy that's like, I don't call me for the best prices. I do the best work. I throw I throw 100% of me at the problem and I have a little book. I got the internet, there's the low version of this price and or the, the, the low price of this job and the high price of this job. And then I look at my conscience and decide what I can, what is, what is reasonable. And that's what I price. You know what I mean? And I end up pricing on the low end most of the time. And that still is on the high end of what people can afford. Hmm. So yeah. people like to play those money games. And because I was young and I was in business, I was like, you learn a lot about people, right? <laughs> I let my business get compromised. So I say this a lot. I'll say, look, my priority is the integrity of my business. So I don't care that you poor. Like, 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 like I had this, like I haven't said it, but I, like people would tell me, like, listen, I only got, to, listen, I have a business to run, which has to be operational when I'm not here. You know what I mean? In order to do that, certain things have to happen, which means certain, look, you can't get me out the bed. For less than $75. $75 is my base fee. I don't care if you want me to, to install the light bulb. It's $75 minimum. And that $75 covers just the ability to exist as a company. And if that means that I get priced out of some jobs, if that means that, that people won't want to work, if I have to sacrifice some clients to maintain the integrity of my business, if I have a client who's trying to negotiate, if it's a client on a job that's big, and I need like it's one of them like a hundred dollars, hundred dollars, hundred dollars, two thousand, like like one of those. You know what I mean? If they try to make me compromise my business to fit them, and it's out of my bounds of reason because I'm not like strict. It's not that deep. But if you 
anytime a client asks me to compromise the integrity of my business to save them money, I have to say no. And the amount of times I've had to do that has surprised me. But in doing that, you learn it's like, I did that for a reason. I'm, I have a business now because I have I move a certain way. You know, I operate a certain way. So, yeah, yeah man, that makes it, sense. Now, yeah, it's it's a it's amazing what you learn about people in this business and going through everything. Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, really since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, We've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. We've hit on a couple like initial hurdles. I'm, I'm curious, what have been like the really rewarding parts about starting your own business and doing your own? Thing? Well, okay. There's, 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 a, there's a few off, right. And there's me personally off, right. It's just, I just love the work. Like, it's like, it's, I feel good going to work. Whereas like, if I work at a job, it's like, yes, the job may be cool, but I have to get up at a certain time and, and I have to get dressed and get my life together all to give my time to someone else and then watch them abuse my time just so I can kind of make rent. And it's like, just the, the I've, I've worked this, I've worked several jobs. I've done a bunch of, I've been in that position where it's like, bro, it's like, if I didn't have to make rent, if I didn't have to live off of money, you'd never see me in this job. I, don't, I hate what I do. Contrast that to somebody calls me, hey, got to put put together a Murphy bid, which one of those like beds to do this. Average cost for a Murphy bid, 320, like, like to install, 320. I got all the tool, like screwdriver, all that stuff. I, I know how to do it or I can look it up real easy. I was only planning on making $100 this week, but $320 take me three hours. You feel me? That's a week and a half's work and pay at a restaurant I made in three hours. I wake up knowing that. I wake up. I go when I get dressed. I don't got to wear a suit or a uniform. I wear clothes that are meant to get dirty in. I'm in the sand. I'm in the bleach. I'm in something all day. So I'm not focused on what I'm wearing. I'm focused on getting the job done. Get dressed, happy, excited, ready to throw them all. Because at the end of the day, if I go and I know what I'm doing, I can only do 100% of myself. This is the thing I see people getting to themselves a lot. Where it's like, bro, if you've given your all to something, and you can't fix it, you can't do anything. You can't go and get more of you. Like it's, it's, so it's like, bro, I know that I'm going to try my hardest to put together this bed. 
and I know how to, which means if I can't do it, that means it was something out of my control. Uh, I brought all the tools necessary. So I go out, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm confident, I'm focused. I feel good about this. My, my willpower is strong. I go out to the job. Client is nice. They're lit. Get to the thing. They got all the pieces. I'm like, all right, cool. Now we'll sit down in this time. Now we have, now we, now it's the show. Moving through, putting it together, putting it together, putting it together. You know what I mean? Oh, a screw is giving me trouble. Let's just figure out how we, how we, how we figure, we get that. Okay, boom. These pieces, piece, 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 making it happen, making it happen. Maybe got a podcast or two in the, in the ears as I'm doing it. You know what I mean? So I'm, so I'm got something else rolling. I got my little drink. Most of the clients are nice. They come out, you want some water? I made sandwiches. Like it's, it's great. <laughs> and you get it done. You put it together. It's, you know, a couple of things went wrong, but you, you you made it. That's that's the thing. Something's always going to go wrong. The question is, can you make it to the end? Is this yeah. obstacle? Can you finish strong, right? Right. <laughs> so if I get to that point and I know I put it together, it might fall apart in six months, but I made it happen. They look at it. It's cool. They pay me. I go home. Got the rest of my day, the rest of my week. It It's that lifestyle. At its best, at its peak, when you when you know what you're doing, when you when you feel confident in the work, you know what I mean. There aren't too many moving pieces. It's a great feeling. It's a feeling of self like self fulfillment, self confidence, self like esteem to know that you you can. It, it with most labor jobs, you put your all into your work. Yeah, your work is purposeful. I'm I'm fixing this person's problem. This person will have a leaky house because they didn't weatherproof their crib and they don't know how. They call me to do it. I know this house is going to have a warm winter. Like if there's a there's a high degree of self-fulfillment in the work when you know what you're doing, you got all the you got everything you need and the job itself flows. You know what I mean? When no one's trying to scheme that it's worth yeah. all the highs and lows, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a very direct like impact. You feel the impact very directly. You literally built it or did it, and then it's very quick, right? There's not a huge delay in that feeling, you know. Yeah, that's that's cool. I like. I can definitely feel like the passion and the energy you have for for the work, and I would imagine flexibility is a big part of it too. Like being able to somewhat dictate your schedule. Obviously, not a hundred percent. For me, it's a little it's a little halfway. Where it's like, there's yes, I like to control my old time my own time, but it's also how I saw employers use the time I traded. That employer-employee dynamic when outside of an office is wild. Like for like when I was a teenager, I worked in a lot of offices and that, that's very nice, very polite. That working in a restaurant, working in a series of restaurants, it'll teach you it's like you're trading your time. And you're like when someone abuses your time, when they when they jam you over, when they when they when they neglect you at the workplace. What you going to do? Quit? You got rent. You got kids most of the time. So it's like, it's very easy and it's very, it's high incentive to sell pieces of your soul when you work for some, when you work for an organization or you work for somebody who's not focused on valuing your time. In a place like a restaurant or a service industry where attrition is high, the workplace is high, there's a lot of other factors. I mean, exactly, I understand how an, how an employee can be neglected, but it's, if an employee is neglected, how you handle that? Prime example, worked in a restaurant, was cool, shifts were very long, 11 hours, got there at three, left at three. Okay, I signed up for that. That's cool. But then it's, we're understaffed. We need you to take this position. And I'm like, I'm trying to be helpful, but this, you're not asking me for help. This is an employer 
adding responsibility to an employee? How would you feel if I said no? Yes, I can say no. And yes, I don't, you don't have to, but now the employer-employee dynamic has changed. Now I'm now I'm not the guy to call. And this is, but if you say yes, then it's like, okay, I can depend on you and lean on you. Now instead of it, it can't, I can't see how many jobs. Hey, can you cover this person's shift? Sure, I'll cover them one time. Suddenly I'm always the guy that can cover the shift. It happens every time because it's like in in certain jobs, especially service jobs, once you get a step in, they go, oh, we can take them. Because if it was, I tell, I tell this all, to, to all my coworkers, if it was up to the employer, you would be here seven days a week from open to close. Like no employee ever goes to an employer of a struggling company and says, hey, I want more hours. And they go, no. Like if a company, a company will make you, will give, will trade all of your time because the way the pay works, they could pay you twice your salary and they'll still make more money so if you you could come in 11 hour shifts, seven days a week and give all your time to this company and still make less than the dude who gave you the shift. I felt and I, I got fired a lot because of that. It was like, bro, I'm like, you're not going to abuse my time. And then when I would see somebody abuse my time, I'd be like, you're not going to do that. It would cause tension. And this is, I'm like, I understand your business, but I'm a, before I'm an employee, I'm a human being. Before you think I won't quit this job to save my soul, I will quit this job to save my soul. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you, it sounds like you've got a lot of entrepreneur in your, in your blood, you know, because you, you look at it through that lens. I, I would say that's not as common. Other people, you know, would look at it through a different, different lens. And so for you, it was probably a very natural shift to say like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to control my own destiny, you know, here, and I'm going to, I'm going to create the value of my time and I can, have a direct impact on that. So yeah, that's super cool. Chris, I have a couple of questions as we wrap up here. Curious, just what do you think of the next few years of the business look like? Where are you trying to go? So where I'm trying to go. So where I think the business goes. So construction is one of those businesses that politics affects like directly. So the, the current federal policies that they're trying to make happen come with a lot of credits and credits incentivize behavior. And the credits are for, not for people, well, it's not for people, but they're mainly for businesses to exist. So they'll they'll credit 30% of your hydropower facility to incentivize you to build a hydro, you know what I mean? So there's been a lot of infrastructure bills. There have been a lot of green energy bills. There's been a lot of investment in construction. And this is a trade secret that people don't know. Construction hasn't really changed since the 70s. So... When I see the future, I see changes in power. I see, I see, I see more investment in solar energy, but I research solar energy and we're not, we're like 10 years off from like pure residential use. So I see major infrastructure and jobs within major infrastructure increase. For me, five years from now, I plan to be completing a PhD. Right on. And, and have grown the business to exist beyond me. Cause I'm trying to put because affiliate has a lot of construction workers. So my goal is by the time I leave for my PhD to have and have a chief technician and the operator to do my work and continue my work when I'm gone. I like it. Yeah. Oh, that's a great, great vision. One final question to wrap us up. If you had to leave some final words of wisdom or one piece of advice to other remodelers, business owners out there, what would you want to say? Connect, connect, contact, like coalesce, 
find people outside of of your your trade because it's it's communication makes for better jobs. You know what I mean? I want to fix this wall, but if I don't know what the last plumber did, or if I don't really know what plumbing does, I gotta I gotta break that. I gotta I can't break that barrier. So I would say communicate. You go to Home Depot, talk to people like you would like on material on your materials run at houses when you see construction guys just walking down the street, just talk, engage, and 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 bridge those gaps. You know what I mean? Construction is a very isolated industry. But yeah, like that's advice. Yeah, good advice. Well, Chris, yeah. thanks for for hanging out with me today and sharing your story. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. This was this was great. This was nice. I know I talked a little bit, a little bit much, but I appreciate you for listening. This is this is this is cool. Thanks for tuning in to Remodeler Stories. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every month we pick a winner and send out a free copy of my book, The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. Just leave a review over on iTunes to enter to win. See you next time.